that some people would say, and even scholars, man, that's a dangerous thing to think. It's a dangerous thing to think. It is about God, and it's about God's will first. But can I say something? As I read Ephesians chapter 1, it occurs to me that we, anyone who calls themselves a child, a follower of Jesus Christ, did not get here by accident or even personal choice. It's a crazy thing. Well, I chose to do it. Yes, you chose to do it because God allowed you to do it. And I could point to scripture upon scripture upon scripture upon scripture that agrees with what I'm saying. No, that's a bad way. I agree with what it's saying. And can I say something? When I read this story, I realize that this is not a story about some people 3,800 years ago. This is a story for me. It's a story for you. It's meant for us. Why? Because we're even told in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, that everything that was done in the past was done as an example. It was a foretaste so that we could look back and we could see how God did. When I read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says, in full view of all that God has done, this is the full view. I think to myself, this didn't happen by mistake. This wasn't given to me by mistake. Someone didn't write this down by mistake. I wasn't born into the family I was into by mistake. Things didn't happen to me just because they happened to me. God was driving the ship. And when I think like that, I can tell you, I don't need anyone to tell me how I should act. You know who does tell me? God himself by saying, do you not know that I have called you? Do you not remember that it was me who pulled you here? Don't you know? Haven't you seen it enough to realize that you're not here by mistake? It's me who got you to this point. And when I think like that, it is a natural boundary for me. Because I don't know about you, but I still have a very strong sin nature. Do you? I have a strong sin nature. I don't want to forgive people that injure me. I want to look out for myself a lot. And you know when I really want to look out for myself? When I feel like I've given too much and I've gotten too little in return. Right? I still, I, I get enamored with things that I know that look pretty on the outside, but I know are not for me. And I might desire them and forget the blessings that I've been given. I could give you list upon list upon list upon list of all these different things. But when I remember, when I'm tempted to touch these things or go in the direction of these things, and I remember that God has called me, it stops me dead in my tracks. It reminds me that this is not why I was born. And all those things I've ever longed for, everything that, that I've ever wanted apart from God, is never going to give me what I want. I want you to remember that as we go through this sermon series. This whole story is to show you that you're here because God has called you. I don't care if your mother called you here. I don't care if your sister called you here. I don't care if your cousin called you here. You're here because God called you here. You're here because God called you here. He orchestrates everything, and I'm going to show it to you in a vivid, vivid way. So let's look. The year is about 1850 BCE. Abraham comes to Egypt. Why? Because there's a worldwide famine. So he goes to Egypt. We all know the story. He gets some respite. He does a couple mistakes. Then he goes back out. But what we don't know is at that time, historically, there's a group of people that come with them. They're most likely Amorites. They're the original Babylonians. So they come to Egypt, and they all kind of get well-fed. They get prosperous. They earn money. And then they start to see... 
that Egypt is kind of a fertile place. And they see a lot of potential. So Abraham, because he knows he's been called elsewhere, gets to the safe point. Everybody's safe. And then he goes back to where God calls him, right? The Amalekites stay there. Well, guess what? As time goes by, they start to insinuate themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into society. Let's go to 18, no, 1683 BCE. We were told that Joseph comes to Egypt. Why? Because his brothers did him wrong, right? We're trying to kill him, threw him into a hole, and then they pulled him back out and they sold him to Midian traders. The Midian traders took him back to Egypt. He goes to Egypt, works for Potiphar. Bad things happen here, winds up in jail. A big, long process. Finally, he gets to this place where a pharaoh calls him out because he's got the strange dream, and Joseph gives him the answer. He promotes Joseph to a place of this year. Why? Why did he do that? Because God was providing once again for his people. God is always providing for you. God, one of the things that we see in here is that God demonstrates his glory in this way, that everything he does is for the love of his beloved. It's his children. Can I tell you something? It's easy to operate in God's power. Oh, man, I... I no offense, if anyone feels they have the gift of prophecy, I've seen so many prophets, and they want to operate in the power of God. But God demonstrates his power most vividly in humble, committed, caring for his family. Do you know who I see that as an example in my own life? My wife. My wife cares for her family. They're all grown up, and she's still doing it to this day. And many times I'm like, Hey, you know, enough's enough. Let them kind of go on their own. Let them do their thing. How about taking care of me a little bit? Right? I told you I was still sinful, right? But I'm telling you, she's looking out for everyone. She gets low. There's many times she takes things from her kids because that's what kids do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You give them and they take and then they forget quick, right? Uh, you know, they act like you got to pay them to hang around with you or something. You're like, for me, that's a bad thing to do because I'm like, I got 20 bucks and I ain't giving it to a kid. You want to hang out with me? Hang out with me. You don't want to hang out with me? I'm okay. But her, man, she goes out of her way. But one of the things that I want to say about God is that he demonstrates his power in bending over backwards for the love of his beloved. Did he need us? No. He's perfect in himself. Did God ever say in eternity past, boy, my life is just empty. I'm going to have to create a people. No, 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 no. That's not true. He never needed any of us. But he knew that he would be cheating himself if he did not create us so that he could love us in the way that only he could love us. That's where we find our value. I want you to remember that. You find your value, not in your job, not in your family, not in your success, not in what you have, what you own, or what you could buy. You find your, your value in who he has called you to be. He says, you're my beloved. You're my chosen. I picked you. Why? Because you were beautiful? Well, if you're like me, it wasn't because I was beautiful. You could see. It wasn't because I was sparkling. I wasn't an A student. No, he chased me in drug houses. I've said it, and I'll say it, and I'll say it, and I'll say it, and I'll say it. He picked me because he knew I was broken without him. 
and he will never give you wholeness. And the only way that we can have wholeness is when we allow him to demonstrate who he is. So remember, Abraham goes to Egypt. Why? Why did Abraham go to Egypt? Because God wanted him to. For why? For you. For you, Anthony. Abraham went where he went for you. Why was Joseph brought there? Why was he sold into slavery? Why did he, for you, Tom, he went there for you. It wasn't just 38 years ago, some kind of a historical event. It was for you and you and you. It was for all of us. You know what? You have to think like that when you read the Bible because it's true. It's true. And when I believe that it's true, it orchestrates and governs my mind. Let's keep moving on. Well, now the year is 1650. Jacob's family comes to Egypt. Why? Because God wants the Savior of the world to be born through Jacob's family. God has a plan, and no one can thwart it. God is committed. If you're going to write something down, write this down, because this is a big one. God is committed to his end game plan. God is not here to be a celestial vending machine for me. I cannot have a relationship with him and say, God, bless all my decisions and make everything I do prosper. He says, no, because everything you may want is not good for you. He said, you know what? I remember that movie. Who's ever seen that movie, Tangled? You ever see the movie Tangled? It's a cartoon. And they have, I got a dream, I got a dream. And then they talk to Flynn Rider, what's your dream? And he tells them a terrible, awful dream. He wants to have big money and sit on the beach. And these big, rough guys go to the girl and they say, your dream, I'll die for because it's a good dream. And then they look at Flynn Rider and he goes, your dream stinks, but you're with her, so you'll live. Can I tell you something? Sometimes our dreams stink. They're very short-sighted. We want to live happy, have good amounts of money, have a good severance package, retire, go to Florida, live kind of these easy free lives, and really truly kind of find satisfaction in all that we can have and this comfort that we can bring into our life. Can I say something? The victory that God wants for his church is not based in my personal satisfaction. It's in me dying to myself and allowing him to live out his will in me. If I lived for me, I would have been divorced years ago. You know why? Because no woman, and I'm sorry to say this, will ever be able to satisfy me the way that I feel they should. But you know what? When I realized I was born for a purpose and a plan, I realized, wait a minute, maybe that was never the purpose of marriage. Maybe Tracy wasn't given to me so she could meet my needs. Maybe only God could meet my needs. Maybe God wants me to be used by him to demonstrate his love for her, meeting her needs. And here's where the paradigm is. When I surrender to that, you know what I find? The thing that I've been longing for all the while. If I'm constantly looking for that next thing, if I'm constantly looking for that treasure, if I'm constantly looking for that perfect meal, if I'm constantly looking to be filled, you know what I find? It's like, it's like vapor. There it is, but it's gone. But I realize, and you realize, and I want us to realize that God has called us to his game plan. God is committed to his game plan. And when we surrender and submit to his game plan, you know what we find? Victory. Write this down. Victory comes to us only on God's terms. 
So Joseph now takes the role of a pointer or a shadow of Jesus. And he will be used by God to save his people. But the Savior that's going to come is not going to be like Joseph. He's going to be better. So he's a shadow. He's a shadow. So Jacob's family prospers in Egypt for probably 100 to 150 years. Let me tell you how they prosper. They become true partners with Egypt when they come. You know what? They learn. They are skillful. They become very skillful. They prosper financially, socially. They grow in skill and practical knowledge. And they grow in numbers. They go from roughly around 100 people and grow in this amount of time, probably around 100 years, to 700,000 to 2.1 million people. This is an amazing, nobody really knows. There's The history back then is always kind of skewed with numbers, but there's a lot of people. Here's another great lesson for us. God does not want us to be partners with the world. See, God sent Jacob's family to Egypt so they could be provided for. But they became partners for 150 years. Can I tell you something? I work for the city. You guys all know that, right? You know, I work, and I work hard, and I try to grow in skill. Why? Because I'm going to be honest. I want someone to go, you did a pretty good job. You know what? I can trust you. And I've had bosses that are like, Fitz, you're my guy. Can I tell you something? When I hear that from a boss, that fills me up in a way that it shouldn't because I feel important, right? But then something happens. When I hear that from a boss, that boss goes to another place and another boss comes in and he don't care about me. And you know what he does? He gives what I think I've earned to you. And I'm like, wait a minute. What's the story? And now when that happens over and over and over, maybe I'm the only one in this room, but when I feel like I've earned certain priorities, and someone else gets them, I could become pretty angry in my mind. Anybody know what you're talking about? Where you're like, you dirty, rotten. You want me to do a good job? Now I'm trying to figure out a way to give it back to you. You know what I mean? I'm a little bit stubborn. I'm a little bit rude. People are like, whoa, that fits. He was a great guy. What happened to him? Why? Because I feel like I've been cheated. Until, can I tell you something? This happened. It's, it happens periodically. Some people are like, oh, man, I know that. Right? Couple months ago, I'm sitting in my car and I'm man, if I could, I go right up the bam, I punch him. <laughs> Sorry, that's not a pastorally thing to say. <laughs> but I'm like, the guy cheated me. He cheated me. He used me, told me I was a guy, and then he gives this over here. Why not me? And you know what God said to me? You made one mistake. You went to the city for provision. Has it not provided for you? And you know what I had to say? It did. God, you put my kids through school. You put a roof over their head. You fed us three meals a day. We went to parties. I got Christmas gifts. I got no beefs. He goes, yeah, but you made them your partner. Want to learn a lesson here? Go to your work. Do the right thing because it's a place of provision. It's a gift from God. Don't look for them to be your security because when that happens, you will endanger it because God will take it from you. It's, I know you're like, wait a minute, that's a hop, skip, and a jump. We see it. God is insanely jealous. Not in a way we are, but righteously jealous. And he says, you're going to give that guy the credit for what I did to you? Don't you know 
who he is. He's using you. And as soon as he doesn't need you, he'll discard you. But me, I'll always use. So remember that. That's where, he, that's where Israel is. They went for partner provision. They became partners. So what does God do? He creates national. No, he doesn't create. He allows for. He allows for human beings. You know how God brings judgment upon the earth? This is how. Pay attention. He goes, don't do that. And they're like, nah, I want to do it. <laughs> and he goes, you don't want to do this. And they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we want to do this. <laughs> right? And then he goes, are you sure? And they're like, yep, I'm really sure I want it. And he goes, are you really sure? And they're like, yep, I'm committed. And then he goes, okay, have it. Over and over, the scariest verse in the Bible is when God said, and God turned them over to themselves. See, God's not going to throw a thunderbolt from heaven and destroy the earth. He's just going to let man do what is in his nature to do. That's how judgment comes to everyone. That's how it works. So what does God do? He gives them this desire to be their own bosses. He allows a nationalistic movement to start in Lower Egypt. And it breaks out into a violent and bloody civil war. These guys who came in that were in control were called the Hyksos, okay? They were defeated by two guys, a guy named Kamos and Amos. Kamos dies in the battle, terrible way. Amos then takes the throne and he becomes Pharaoh, right? So he sees the Hebrews as potential threats. That's why he says, man, there's about a million of these people. If the Hyksos that we just drove out come back, maybe these Hebrews are going to hook up with them, and then they're going to fight against us. So what did he say? Remember the words? He said, let us act shrewdly with them. That doesn't mean he enslaved them the way we naturally think of enslavement. That means they were oppressive. They created an environment financially and physically and socially that was very hard for them to even make ends meet. See, can I tell you something? That's what happens when you trust in the world to be your provision. You know, I told you this story before. Mayor Daly and I had him. God bless his soul. I don't know where he's at. <laughs> he's bargaining with the, with the Teamsters, and he says, hey, listen, if you guys don't sign this contract by Thursday, I'm going to lay off 1,500 of you. And I panicked. This was years ago. I'm like, I just bought a house. I don't know what I'm going to do. Surely enough, I'm looking at the list. I finally go for a cup of coffee. Why? Because I always go for a cup of coffee because it's my medicine. And I hear the Lord as I'm praying. When I open a door, no one can close it. And when I close the door, no one can open it. You know what he was telling me? Well, let me tell you what he wasn't telling me. He wasn't telling me I wasn't going to get laid off. You know what he was saying? That's on my provision time, not daily. Stop looking at me daily or whoever, the public school system or any school system or any government or any boss to be your provision. God is your provision. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you as his children to prosper. And the world wants you to be indebted to them. 
boy, that sounds like a hop, skip, and a jump. I'm throwing some shade at the world. Yes, you're right. I am throwing shade at the world. I don't want us to follow the world. And you know who else doesn't want us to follow the world? The Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've rescued you from that dominion into this kingdom of light where I'm your provision. I'm the one who provides for you. So let's keep moving forward. Okay. So the movement happens. This Hyksos king sees uh, they're gone. Now the Egyptians are back in and they institute a policy of harsh oppression. The Hebrews are no longer partner. They're now enslaved. And like I say this, I've thought this through and I've done my homework. They became wage slaves. They weren't enslaved like I own you. They became wage slaves. Where it became harder and harder for them to get their paycheck and pay for their regular needs. Does that kind of sound familiar? It sounds familiar to me. So anyway, what does God do as they start to cry out? God raises up a deliverer. Who is his deliverer? Another shadow of Jesus. He raises up Moses. Let's fast forward. I told you this whole story because I want to tell you this. During my devotionals, God is providing. He gets them out of Egypt, takes them 700 years. Let's go 700 years into the future. He's providing for them. He's leading for them. He uses various godly people to lead them, protect them, provide for them. Samuel is now God's guy in Israel, right? Israel goes to Samuel when he's old and go, you know, we appreciate all you've done. We appreciate all God's done. But you know what, though? We really got together. We want a king just like every other nation around us. Remember that? It's in 1 Samuel. Samuel hears this news, and he's heartbroken. He is so broken that he's crying. I can't believe I did this. God goes to him, hey, what are you moping about? What do you mean, what am I moping about? He goes, they rejected me. He goes, what do you mean rejected me? They rejected me. And you know what his exact words were? He goes, from the day I took them out of Egypt, they never wanted me to be their God. You cannot have Jesus as the Savior if he's not your Lord. That's an unfortunate truth. I can't split them up. I'll take the salvation, but I don't want you as my Lord. You understand, he saves us because he's Lord and to follow him as Lord. I want you to remember something as we go forward, and this is where it's going to get a little bit quicker. Thank God, right? Israel knew who God was. They trusted in him to an extent. They worshiped him. They had no problem. They're like, we've seen, we've seen your power. We've seen your might. We've heard about you. We believe in you. But you know what I've learned? Proper profession of who God is doesn't save you. Wait, what? Don't save you. You know what James said? Demons know who God is. They know properly. They know better than you and me. And they shake and shiver when they think about them. They're not going. You know why they're not going? They don't want them. They don't want them. Israel knew who God was, but they still trusted in their own leadership. You and I have a stubborn addiction to our own understanding and leadership. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? That means on a regular basis. I have to surrender. I have to allow him 
to investigate. I got to open the books and allow him to look at me and how I spend my time and how I use my resources and what my plans are for 25 and 30 and 40 years ahead and what I choose to do with what God has given me. And you know what? I think, hey, I've earned it. It's mine. I guess it was my power. But then I go back to what Paul says. Don't you remember you've been chosen? Don't you remember you were picked? What do you have that he hasn't given you? Has God ever asked from you everything? Has he ever cheated you? No, he hasn't. You know who's cheated me more than anyone else in my life? Me. Me. And you know what? When I see this, when I see the grandeur of who God is, and I see his glory, I think to myself, God, break my dependency on what I think I know and the way I think things should go. It's kind of a different kind of life, folks. You know what? You can pray till you're blue in the face. You can look real holy. Cover your head with coverings. You can get down and look like this when we're worshiping. But true worship is surrender. Striving to trust and surrender and let go. I give you control. That's what God is after. I think it's very easy for us to God. For, to want God to bless us. It's very natural for us to want to spend eternity in. But we have to remember this. The great gift of salvation is not heaven. It is God himself. When I look at God and I see who he is and I marvel at it, I realize that he is for me and he is not against me. This brings me to my next point. When I marvel at God and all of his goodness and all of his beauty, and I drink in deeply from who he is, and I do got to drink in. Because can I tell you something? If you don't make a decision to open your Bible and read it and write what you're seeing and forcefully pray about it, it's never going to happen. And if you want something to happen, it's going to happen that way. You think you're going to muscle this, you're not. You're never going to be able to get this done in your own strength. There's no way what God wants to do must be done by the Spirit. So when I open up the Scripture, I see who he is and I write it down. And then I look at my life and I say, do I really believe that to be true? God, I believe you're a provider, but you know what? Many a times I'm afraid to let go of what you want me to let go of because if I let go of it, some of my comfort goes with it. And to which he says, have I not always provided for comfort? Have I not always been someone who gives you pleasure? Do you think I want to remove from you good things in your life? Have you ever seen that in life? I remember I had a devotional when I got saved. And um, it was, it was roughly, it said it was God's perspective. And you know what one of the points was? Trust. And you know what the point was in this thing? It was that Satan's greatest victory in our life is when he says a lie about who God is and we agree with it. God's going to leave you on your own. If you trust in him, if you give him your time, and you do this, you're going to end up and you're going to look back in time and you're going to go, what a waste. Why did I squander it all? Why did I give of my time? Why did I give of my effort? Why didn't I look out for me? Why didn't I care about what was going to happen after I worked? Why did I not invest the way that he wanted me to do? You're going to look back at your life and you're going to say, screwed up. I should have given it all to you. I trusted in you. 
That's what God wants from us. He wants from us to trust in him. God wants us to believe that he's worthwhile. So here's three points. Ready? First of all, God drives the ship. He is not a casual observer. He's not a co-pilot. He's a master captain. This gives me immediate confidence. There's things in your life right now that you wish would go in a different direction. A- anybody? Right? You know what? And, and you know what the ones that really get me most? Our family members' directions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, man, I really want this to go. I could tell you a story, but I don't know who's with me, and I can't really say it. So God wants me to remember that he's in control. So you know what that does for me? It allows me to do what I talked about, letting go. I think to myself, I need to manipulate and control things to get it to go where I want it to go. He says, trust me. Do what's right in the moment. Do what I've told you to do with what I've given you, and I'll get you to where I want you to be. And where I want you to be, you will prosper. You'll be in a good place. Do you believe that? You believe that? Man, you're going to have to strive to do it because it's not going to be easy. It's going to happen because you forcefully take your mind, you take your time, and you surrender it. You say, okay, God, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. We, I believe oftentimes this. Think about this. We're afraid to trust God because we subtly fear that he is not for us. Ever think like that? I just met with this girl, 23 years old. Had a, she's lost both of her legs. Remember, she had a, 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 a stroke. First words as she's crying, she goes, is God done with me? Have I gone too far? I've tried to commit my life. It's just not enough. He's letting me go. And I said, why would you think that? And he's like, but all these bad things are happening. And I said, how do you know where he's taking you? Can you see all the things he's doing with you? He's giving you a beautiful daughter. He's surrounded you with people who cares. This was a young girl who was in a hospital where they were taking care of her. She was in a place two days earlier where she couldn't speak. And there she was, clear-minded. God had provided all this. And what was her fear? God has abandoned me. Do you think he abandoned you? Grab hold of that thought and bring it back to him and say, Lord God, I fear this. I know it's not true in my saved mind, but in my fleshly mind, I think sometimes when tough things are happening, you're not there for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're going to got five more minutes, maybe seven. God demonstrates to us time and time again that he can be trusted he shows me why he is to be worshipped. He shows me his sovereign authority. He shows me his power. He shows me his ability. You know how he does it? Not only does he show me all the greatness, but he shows me the little stuff where he comes close. Has God ever been patient with you? Man, he's been patient with me. More patient than I've been with people around me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? How else has God demonstrated his good intentions toward you? He's been persevering with me. That means he picks me time after time after time after time. In my own mind, I'm like, God, just use me. And if in the end, I know this is going to sound crazy, but that's okay. I'm a little crazy. I think to myself, you want to send me to hell because my faith in you won't work. 
just you and me. I say it to him a lot. And you know what I swear he tells me? There's a ton of Christians out there. I'm just not good enough. Don't you get it? He made provision. When he sees you, he sees Jesus Christ. And when he sees Jesus Christ on the cross, he sees you. There's nothing that can happen that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. It is a guarantee. And we have to remember that time and time and time again. On my best day, I'm saved, and on my worst day, I'm saved. Well, you can't say that, Pastor Tom. People are just going to keep sinning. No, you won't. If you really understand the love of God, you don't want to sin. You want to say no to the desires of your flesh. You want to say, yes, Lord God, I want to believe more. I want to grow in my faith. I want to give more over to you. See, that's how it works. Let's go to that next point. Here it is. God hears the cries of his people. Time and time again, God demonstrates he is there. We may not feel him. We may not hear him, but he's there. He is not ambivalent or mildly interested. God is with us. Listen to these two verses. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Answer me, O God, for your loving kindness is good. According to your greatness and your compassion, see me through. You know, this was a guy, David, who was rejected by his family, sent out into the field to take care of the livestock. You know why? They were ashamed of him. See, David, this is another big one. I'm sorry I'm going along, but I, I just, man, it just makes my mind go boom. David it says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? We think in our mind, well, God saw David's heart and said, his heart is better than his heart, so I'm going to save him. Let me say something. If that's true, then everything else in the Bible is a contradiction. God says that no one's heart is good. Everyone's heart is broken. So what does it mean that God saw David as a man after his own heart? David was alone. David was afraid. David felt rejected. David felt no worth, and he longed for God to take action. Do you want that? Because that's what he wants to give you. That's what's going to get you over the hump. So remember that. Last point, God has people everywhere. Job says this, 42 verse 2, I know that you can do all things, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Are you stuck in a tough marriage? Are you stuck, stuck in a very difficult situation? Do you feel there's no way around? Nobody cares about you? Can I tell you something? There is someone who cares about you, someone who is watching over every aspect of your life, not casually, not distracted. He's watching you, and he's caring for you. Even if you're struggling, you're struggling, and he's holding you in it. Like I said to this girl, why is he making me go through this? Why do I keep having these problems? And I prayed. I'm like, man, I don't have an answer. Do you? I don't have an answer. But you know what I thought of as they come up? My brother had cancer in his tongue. They had to remove half his tongue. And then they radiated his jaw for like three months. And you know what happened? They got rid of the cancer, but they put big, huge cracks and fissures in the bone, right? So now he has an infection in his jaw. They said, 
to listen. You can't operate on the job because you're going to collapse and you would have to remove all of this. Right? So he said, well, what do I got to do? He goes, we're going to put you into what's called a bariatric chamber. He goes, what's a bariatric chamber? It's where they put you in and they pump in pressure. Why are they putting in pressure? So that those bones that are kind of separated and have big holes in them will get pressurized into becoming whole. God allows us to go through difficulties. God allows for people in our life to be burdens for us. He allows for these things to happen. Why? Because he is producing wholeness in us. Let me give you three, uh, five ways as they come up and as they start playing. Here it is. If I'm put in a position of trial, why? There's a reason and a purpose for it. If I'm to suffer because Christ is making me like Jesus. You and I were made to look like Jesus. You weren't here to observe, sit, and spectate. You are a participant, an active tool in the hands of God to bring about his salvation on this earth. You're here because he's called you. He made you for this purpose. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. If something is being withheld from you, it might not be the right time. It might not be the right fit. Or... I might want something that's going to poison my life. If you find yourself single, well, I don't want to be single no more. I feel alone. I don't want to be alone. God's like, wait. Wait. Because if you get the wrong person, it'll be like a curse in your life. You know what? I realize there are so many people that want to get married. They're single. They're like, I don't care what God says. I'm not going to wait until God brings someone who's equally yoked with me. I'm just going to find someone and you know what he says? You know what he shows? He says, this thing that you think is going to make you feel whole isn't going to make you feel whole. It's never going to be for you what you think it's going to be. Only when I can do the thing that makes you whole can you enjoy me. And I'm just going to say this as an advocate for us. If I'm struggling in my marriage, this is me. I'm speaking for you too, Jeff. It's not because of my wife that I struggle. It's because of my relationship with God that I struggle. Because I'm not allowing him to be the thing that I need. I'm looking for her to be the thing. And she can't be the thing. So God says, I want to make you happy with you and me, us together. And when that happens, everything else around you gets better. Everything else around you gets better. Let's stand up. As we hear these last points, God used Saul's jealousy and hatred and relentless opposition to build trust and intimacy with God. Is, is life hard for you? Is it, is it hard for you? Is life tough? Let it use be used by God to draw you to intimacy with him. You know, sometimes in church you're told, be strong, be strong, be a strong Christian, don't ever complain. No, no, no. Jesus loved when his people came to his feet and complained. Wait, where? Where do you see that? Look at Mar uh, uh, Mary and Martha. Martha wanted answers. Where were you, Jesus? I thought you were supposed to be here. And he gave her an answer she didn't want to hear. But Mary, you know what she did? She was like, I needed you. My heart is broken. Where were you? And what did Jesus do? He embraced her and he 
wept with her. Use the difficulties of life from the sovereign God to draw you into intimacy with Him because that's what you were made for. As we worship right now, I want you to think about this. There is nothing beyond His touch. He uses kings and rulers and governments. He uses cultural currents to serve His purpose. He is God and no one is like Him. Let's worship.
finish up today. Let's remember that this is the provision from heaven. Remember Joseph was sent so that he could save Israel with bread made from wheat. But it was a pointer, and this was the pointer. It was pointing to this, that God would save his chosen, his beloved, with manna from heaven. Jesus' flesh is our provision for life. He did everything on our behalf. He perfected life. He perfected worship. He loved his Father in the way that we should and could never have done. And now he has given us his righteousness. Father God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this, this bread that represents your son's life. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for everything you do. I pray that you would, you would capture our hearts, Lord God. That you would draw us close to you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in this. And in Jesus' name we pray. Let's take this cup. This cup represents the blood of Christ. Everything that I have ever done that has broken God's laws, gone against his will, and broken his heart, Jesus paid the price for it. He took it upon his shoulders. Why? Because he wanted to. He willingly did it. And the father willingly brought down upon the shoulders of his son righteous judgment so that we would never have to have that. Now we're free. No longer can we be condemned. Father God, we just want to say thank you. Lord God, I want to say thank you that you took all the past away. Lord, we're still works in progress and we still fail and we still believe, but then we fall back. Lord God, as I understand it, nothing can be brought against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray. I pray, Lord God, that you would make us to desire your will over ours. I pray that you would capture our love by showing us more and more of how much you love us. And we pray this with one voice in Jesus' name. Let's pray out. Father God, I'm grateful for everything. Lord God, I, you know what? Our job is to not worry about an outcome. Our job is to be obedient. When you say for us to go, we should go. When you say for us, this is good to do, we should do it. Why? Not that we understand everything that's going to happen or we agree with the direction that it's going, but we trust in the one who's sending us. You have proven yourself time and time again that you are trustworthy. Father God, I pray that you would make this place a place where people would come in and they would come to life. I pray, Lord God, that every month we would have someone in those waters of baptism. Why? Not so that we can have numbers and we can say, boy, we baptized 24 people this year. No, Lord God, that people would recognize and see and come out of the grave and they would be changed and lives would be changed, homes would be changed, children would be brought back to their parents, society would be blessed, Father God. You would be glorified. That's what we want more than anything else. I pray that you would make us single-minded, Lord God, as one people, even though we're individuals, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, you guys have a great day.